The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Last week we were looking at the beginning of James and just getting an introduction to that and an understanding of how this book was written, etc., etc. And I said it would be great to read it. See, that's what I say about do I ask for a show of hands at this point. Maybe not. But let, let me encourage you to press into this book. Let me encourage you to read it. Let me encourage you to get hold of uh, this letter and understand it. Read it through several times because it speaks to us. James was there trying to encourage people in the ways of God. Now, as a book, if you read about it, and of course some scholars don't believe it was the Lord's brother. Ah, I remember something. Last week, I said about the, that James was the older brother. Now, obviously, James can't be the older brother of Jesus. So let's just get this cleared up now. Okay, let's just get this sorted out. What in my mind when I was preaching was this. Of the other brothers, half-brothers of Jesus, I believe James was the oldest of them. Do you understand? Look, I make many mistakes. Many mistakes, that was yet another one of them, but public confession is good for the soul, so they say, so we got that cleared up. But last week as we were looking at this, not every scholar believes that this was the Lord's brother, but I think there's an awful lot that points to it, and it's just the background. We've got to understand the background. This is happening in Jerusalem. A lot is going on in Jerusalem. And if this truly was James, the half-brother of Jesus, then he had seen all of the happenings that had gone on with Jesus living with Jesus, certainly seen the death of Jesus, certainly experienced the resurrection of Jesus, certainly had encountered this risen Jesus speaking to him, certainly had understood that Jesus had gone back to heaven, had been there when the Holy Spirit was poured out, had seen all of these things happening, had seen and experienced what was going on in Jerusalem. There was a problem in Jerusalem. There'd been a problem in the life of Jesus because there were the religious leaders saying, this guy's got it wrong. And then there's Jesus' followers who are saying, this is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. And we know that even after Jesus had risen from the dead, there's still this clash of understanding, this clash of mindsets, this clash of ways of looking at things that is going on. And that clash didn't just, oh, okay, Jesus has won. That clash continued because people find it difficult to let go of the mindsets they've got. We all do. You know, there's stuff that we hold on to. Because the way we've been brought up, it becomes part of us. And that's very much how the religious leaders felt. We're not letting go of this. And as we see, as time went on, there was a time when Stephen, one of the followers, he was actually stoned to death. And so suddenly now, it's when that happened, it says that great persecution arose against the church and the believers started to flee Jerusalem because they feared for their lives. Now, we know that even that was in the purposes of God because as they went... They were taking the good news of Jesus far and wide. And it's, of course, those people that that actually James is wanting to send this letter to. Those who have been spread far and wide now. Those that have gone to all of these different places because they've gone, because they've been sent, because they've been pushed out, because they feared for their lives. 
But just imagine how James felt as he's back in Jerusalem. He's staying in Jerusalem. He is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's leading the people. And he's having to lead them through those times. Hey, one of our number, you know Stephen, he was a good man. He served at the tables. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. People would have known about him, his presence. They would have been talking about the testimony that he gave. And yet he's been stoned. You come to church. You come on that next Sunday. Wow, how's everybody feeling? Scared. In fact, whereas the previous week the place had been full, this week it's half empty because many people have fled for their lives. They've lived through these things. They've lived through the realities of what is going on. This is the background that we're coming to. And as we start to go into this book, we see that James introduces us to several things. In fact, this first chapter, if you like, is a sort of like a summary for the rest of the five chapters. So there's a number of themes. In fact, there's all of the themes that are carried on in the rest of the chapters to be found in this first chapter. For instance, chapter one contains uh, information about hardships, trials, if you like. It talks about the law of love. And James, when he's talking about the law of love, if you remember what Colin Bloom always used to say to us, love God, love your neighbor. Remember that? That's the royal law. If you don't remember any other laws, just remember that. What do I need to do today? Love God, love my neighbor. What do I need to do tomorrow? Love God, love my neighbor. Just keep it simple, but keep it in your mind. That's the royal law of love, which James talks about. He talks about wisdom. He talks about wealth. Mark just mentioned that. Hey, not only those that are the most finely dressed, those that have the most important jobs, those that are most money, I'll look after them. And not care for anybody else? Love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? In that story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus went on to show, really, it's anybody who's in your world. Who's in your world? Rich, famous, poor, unfamous, people who are asking for money from you? All of them. We want to love all of them. And James refers, uh, talks about wealth. He also talks about the whole thing of words, the importance of words, the importance of speech, the importance of watching what our tongues are doing. He spends a lot of time on that. And today, we're just going to start into this, and hopefully we're going to look at the first, I don't know, 18 verses, within which there's really two main topics contained in here. That of trials, hardships, and that of wisdom. And hopefully we will cover those. We'll see how we, we get on. I'm not going to read all this passage out, but we are going to have certain scriptures. So let's just start off from verse 2, reading from verse 2 to 4. In fact, if you have a Bible with you, then I know stuff comes up on the screens, but by all means have a Bible open because you might want to refer to it as we jump around. If not, well, don't worry. You can always read it again at home. Let's start off. James chapter 1, verse 2 to verse 4. And James writes this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Thank you, James. (laughs) Thank you for that wonderful start to this letter. I just want to thank you for the encouragement that you have given to me that... In the midst of trials, I am supposed to consider it pure joy. Pure joy. 
We don't, do we? Let's be honest. (laughs) We don't have the dictator. We don't consider it pure joy. It is actually, in fact, perhaps Jane should have written, consider it woe is me. Because that's more actually in keeping with how we feel. How's it been this week? You don't understand what I've been through. Let me just start to tell you. Have you got time for a coffee? We need to go for a coffee. Because I need to download to you just exactly what this week has been for me. That's more what we want. We want to have it in that way. We want to download to people how it's been for us. It's been hard. It's been tough. Not all this stuff about consider it pure joy. But you see, he's not just speaking to a people that just have an easygoing life. He's speaking to people that are up against it each and every day. He is speaking to. And it's believed that this letter is written towards the end of his life. Not that long after this, he himself is killed. But this has happened after the whole thing about Stephen. They remember that morning when that was told to everybody. They remember having to communicate that to those that didn't know. They remember seeing the people, in fact, not seeing the people that they loved and were praying with and were doing life with because they've had to escape for their lives. They've been through that, but James wants to say this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you are going through trials of many kinds. You see, James realized that even though these things are a trial... They were indeed a blessing, or they can be considered to be a blessing. Look, if we are going to have a faith in God that stands tests, then we've got to have that faith tested. There's something that's got to come to actually prove it, to show how strong it is. Look, when we buy things, we want to know that those products have been through what is called quality control. And you know that there are some things that you very electrical products, you get kite marks, the British standard. This has passed this British standard. I was looking in IKEA, because I have been to IKEA recently, even on a Saturday, you get a hero's badge for that. Um, and I read this and I just thought it's in our kitchens, they say, are put to the test. Good, I thought. So I read on. Tough doors and hinges that open and close smoothly. I read on. Every day, they said, have you ever thought how many times you open and close your kitchen doors? Now, I'm sure this isn't something you thought about this morning, but nevertheless, just think. You know what? When I go to the kitchen and make a cup of tea, I open the drawer, I close the drawer. I make the cup of tea, I open the drawer, I get another. You're opening and closing the drawers of your kitchen all the time. And that's not only mum or dad, that's everybody. Because we come in, oh, what's to eat? And we're opening cupboard doors and stuff like that. So with that in mind... Ikea say this, that is why we test our kitchen doors by hanging a two kilogram weight on the doors and then opening and shutting them 200,000 times so that you can have reliability in our product. So if anybody's looking for a kitchen, I just want to give that information. I'm not being sponsored by Ikea yet, but maybe. Um, So there's no, but you see, we understand when we're buying things, Whatever it may be, whether it's a kitchen or a kitchen drawer or whatever it might be, you want to know that that product can withstand a certain amount of hardship. You want to know that it's been quality controlled. So why is it when it comes to faith, oh, I've got my faith and it's personal to me. Suddenly it's all hedged around. Nobody else is allowed to test it or prove it or try it. 
But you see, what James is saying is, look, we've got to get a different framework when it comes to life. In life, we are going to go through trials and temptations and difficulties. Stuff is going to come. That's life. It goes on and it happens. And you know what? We're not really in control of it because it tends to come against us. But in the midst of those, we can consider it pure joy because God is actually building a quality assurance over our faith. He is building us and strengthening us so that we as a people are growing. And you know, it says, if we continue with this perseverance, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The very word perseverance doesn't actually bring joy to us, does it? Because even the word, you know what an onomatopoeia is? is when it sounds like something. Perseverance It's not necessarily onomatopoeic, but it does sound like, ouch. It sounds like you're being ground down. It sounds like there's an attrition that's going on, a smoothing, a rubbing of sandpaper against your life. You can almost feel it with the word. It's necessary that we persevere because that perseverance is helping our faith. Verse 4, perseverance must finish its work. Perseverance must finish its work. You know the things you're going through? The things maybe that only you know about, that other people don't know about. The stuff that's hard. Okay, you can come in here with a smile. Praise Jesus. But inside, you're aware of the weight of the issues that you're carrying. Those things. Keep going. Keep going because God is at work and he is developing perseverance in you. And perseverance must finish its work. It must finish its work because there is a quality control that is happening. And you know what? We're not going to be mature. We're not going to get to that point of maturity unless we actually allow perseverance to finish its work. Now, I know that none of us is actually saying, like, trials, hey, bring them on. In fact, there are some of those people who say, like, trials, devil, bring him on. No, no, no. I can think of some. To be honest, it's bravado. It might look good at the moment, but when those things come, we don't necessarily feel like that. So I'm not saying trials, bring them on. I'm just saying this. In the midst of the trials, keep your eyes on Jesus. Turn back to him. He is our source of strength. He is the one who can help us. And James, with his insight, with his experience, with the stuff that he himself had been through, with the stuff as the pastor of the church helping others in Jerusalem go through, he's helping them all, he's gathering them in. Those people, he is encouraging us at the same time, listen, keep going. Because there is supposed to be an end goal. And this end goal is that we might be found perfect. That we might be found complete. And the idea that, that's that's what the word is in the Greek. It's this idea of completeness. You come to a place of completeness. And that word has this understanding in it. That you have no fractures in you. Ah, now that makes more sense. You see, God is looking to have something that's flawless. No fractures in you, no deficiency in you, no disease in you, no corruption, 
Because he's making you flawless. He's making you complete. And that's what this work does. Because as you're getting worn down, sometimes there's nowhere else to look apart from Jesus. I don't know for some of you, you've been through trials in your life now that you've come through. Some are still going through. Which aren't, you know, they're, they're the, the full ten. It's not just a little trial, they're the full-blown things. And in those situations, sometimes the only place you can go is keeping your eyes on Jesus. Consider it pure joy, says James, because perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, whole, not lacking anything. That's where he's going to. And that's those first four verses. If we jump on down to James chapter 12, this same theme is being picked up on again. He actually goes off to, to wisdom, which we'll come back to in a minute. But in James 1 verse 12, he says this, Because blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. He's blessed. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, we don't often speak of rewards. We speak of encouragement to each other when we're going through issues. But there is something, there is actually an end goal in sight. And God is wanting us to receive a reward. He wants to help us and to bless us and to encourage us. Now, I know that that reward is at the end. But there is a reward there. And we need to be pressing on for that reward. We don't often think of that. Hey, the reason I'm going to, I'm actually going to persevere and keep my eyes on Jesus. Because there's a reward waiting for me. That's not usually the way that we think of it, but we should be encouraged because this is what the Scripture is telling us. Press on. There's probably an understanding here also that James is looking back at what's going on in terms of the Grecian games, the idea of athletes. Athletes press on to win the prize. And James is saying that to us. When you're going through these difficulties... You're going through these hardships, these things that you're having to persevere with, just as an athlete is having to persevere as they're coming around the final bend of the 400 meters and they're keeping going and there's somebody still in front. But if you keep going and you're giving your all, persevering to the end that you might win the prize. So we can have that idea of those games in our minds. In Revelation 2 verse 10 it says this, Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. There's that sense there he's talking about. This is what the end goal is. There is a crown of life. Hey, I haven't lived through this life just because I want a crown. Because that's not the way I think of it. I'm living this life trying to keep my eyes on Jesus because I know he's good. And he helps me. But also, let's have that encouragement. When we are going through stuff, there is a crown of life that is waiting for us. It's a reward for our perseverance. Now, James also, having said that and given that information, he jumps in with verse 13 with another subject related to hardships and trials, that being of temptations. And this theme goes through to verse 17. 
In fact, the Greek word for that is, uh, or the word that is translated here for trials or temptations, is actually the same root. So that's why it is translated in different ways, in different circumstances. James seeks to give to us a breakdown of what happens when we are tempted. Verse 13, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one, verse 14, is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged and enticed, dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Oh. You see, he gives us the picture of temptation. Who gets tempted? No need to put your hands up. Answer, every one of us. And did you know what temptations are? They're things that are attractive to you. They're things that actually find their way into your life. They're, oh, this is attractive to you. So there are temptations that are different, but there's no temptation that is not common to man. That's what the scriptures say. And James tells us this, no one is tempted by God. Clear? Because God doesn't tempt anybody. That's not what he's like. No one is tempted by God. So how are we tempted? Well, the enemy does have a hand in it, but it says this. We are tempted when our own evil desire, our flesh, our cravings drag us away. There's something inside of us that is attracted to temptation. And we find that because, oh, we start to respond to it. When temptation comes our way, then we start to respond to it. Those warm, tasty, sugary donuts are exactly what I need. You see, that, that's my desire pulling me towards that. Now that is just one simple. I'm in the office, and this guy or this girl, they are the one who actually understands me so much better than my partner at home. They are the one that actually I need to get to know. They are the one that I need to spend more time because they understand me. They seem to know just how my desire can be captured by such things. And I can be taken away into illicit relationships. Just one more drink and I'll be calmed down. My desire isn't to stop, but it is to continue going in that way of drunkenness. If I dress like this, then I know they will accept me. They will love me. So that's what I'm going to do. My desire for being wanted, for being liked, drags me away. If I buy this lottery ticket, then I'm going to be rich it's desire that's calling. Now those are only some particular desires or temptations that we can have. We can be tempted in many and various ways. But our temptations or that desire that comes to us, it finds within us something that it can lay hold of. Because you know what? Not everybody is tempted by smoking or drinking. Some people might say, oh, that's a bit of a problem for me. Others say, no problem for me. See, because it's not a, it doesn't find a, a hook in their lives. We are tempted when something comes along that attracts our flesh, our inner desires. Nobody is tempted by God because he doesn't tempt them. But the enemy knows the things in your life and he can send things along. Incidentally, temptation is not sin. Okay, we can all be tempted. 
Right, let's all go off go to the bookies. Those of you who like going to the bookies would say like, ooh, no need to put any hands up right now. But you see, we can resist that temptation, so it just goes away. Okay, next. Temptation is not sin. It's when we start to get dragged away by it. That's the problem. And what James says is because there's a passage, there's temptation, it starts to attract our own inner temptations, our own inner desires. That starts to react. So now we're reacting to that temptation. Now we're saying like, do you know what? Those donuts are exactly what I need. I'm not going to buy one. I'm going to buy six. And you know what? I'm going to eat the lot. That is when desire has got hold of me. And now I am walking in the ways of gluttony. And that is it. <laughs> Now, that obviously is an easy, simplistic, nobody should be too offended, apart from the donut makers union, that, they, that anybody would be offended by that. But the truth is this. What is it that grips us? There is no, there's no temptation that is not, as I say, common to man. And see, that's the thing. There's temptations that are common they happen to all different ones of us. But when it comes to us, usually temptation comes and it's usually a secret thing. It's something that we know about, but we don't want to let other people know about. So that's the first thing. It becomes secret. And because it becomes secret, we think we're the only ones that are going through that. And because it is a bit embarrassing, we don't like to share it with others. Because like, if they know what I'm going through, and they see that this is, and I've responded to those temptations, what are they going to think of me? So again, there's another reason to keep it hidden and keep it away. And those are the problems that separate us. Whereas actually, if we were to go through in this room and we were to say, like, okay, now we're just going to have 10 minutes of public confession of every temptation that we've been through, we'd find, like, oh my goodness, I'm not the only one. There's no temptation that isn't common to mankind. But we do not want to be dragged away. We are tempted when our own evil desire, our flesh, our cravings latch on. You can't be tempted by something that's not inside you. It's got nothing to hold on to. So think, the temptations that you have, the reason they affect you is because there's still roots inside they can tap into. God, have mercy upon us and deliver us from those things. Jesus, when he was preaching to uh, the crowds and indeed to uh, the Pharisees, he was saying to them, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And we don't want to be a slave to anybody because Jesus came to set us free. He came to set us free so that we can be free from temptation. We can be free from giving in to things. We can live a life in the way that he wants us to live it. That is what God wants for us. And even James goes on to point out in verse 17, he says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from God, the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So he wants to remind us, look, there are plenty of good gifts. Temptations, they don't come from God. Temptations are to do with the enemy and what's hidden inside your life. But God continually gives good gifts. But you know, I was thinking about this. Sometimes it's like this. You know, like you have a birthday and you think, like, what would you like for your birthday? And even if I say that, you can think of things. Now, some of you just, just be extravagant for a moment. 
But then, you know, you comes to your birthday and they give you a suitcase. Ooh, not quite what I wanted. Nice, you know, new suitcase. Yes, nice. Useful. <laughs> Useful, yes. When I want to go away, I've got a suitcase. Lovely. Wasn't quite as glamorous as I was expecting. I'm looking for something a little bit more than just a suitcase. You know, maybe... I won't even go there. Anyway, you get a suitcase. The thing is, sometimes that's a bit how it seems. God continually gives us things. He gives us relationships. You see, some of those relationships are a little bit frictional. Some of them are a bit difficult because God is using those relationships to pull things out of us, to make us change, to help us to love these people in the way that we've been told to. But it doesn't always seem good. Some of the things that God gives us are just useful but they're not always very glamorous or they don't have all the bells and whistles. They're not always the most exciting. But we need to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from him. Father, thank you for my health. Thank you for my breath. Thank you for my feelings, for my touch, for my sense of smell. Thank you for the food that I've had. Thank you for the sleep that I've had. Thank you for the hot and cold water that I had this morning. Thank you for that shower. Thank you for the blessing of a warm bed. Thank you for a duvet that covered my feet. Thank you that my hedge didn't fall over last night. Thank you. You suddenly realize, wow, all of these gifts, some of them are just useful, practical. But because of that, we overlook them. Every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father in heaven. Okay, let's just move on. That just covers, in a way, hardships, trials, and temptations that James was talking about in this first chapter. But if we were to jump back now, he actually says, go back to this idea of persevering through trials. The purpose of persevering through trials is that we might get to a position where we are perfect, not lacking anything. That's what he says. And so just as he's finishing off that verse, it then goes on to say in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom. So he's just saying, we want to get to a point where you don't lack anything, but actually, if you lack wisdom. And so he now goes on to this thing about wisdom. What is wisdom? What do we need? And he says this in uh, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Well, I guess unless your name is Solomon... I don't think there's any Solomons here today, then you, like me, would recognize, oh, I do lack wisdom. Not just sometimes, quite often. Some of the things I do, some of the things I say, then no, that wasn't terribly wise. When you, it's usually afterwards you might work that out. So, but we lack wisdom. And so it almost seems like, of course we want to ask for wisdom. What is wisdom? The dictionary would say this. The dictionary says, wisdom is the ability to know what is right, coupled with right judgment to the action. So in other words, you know what's right and you know how to put it into place, what to do. That's being wise. That's the dictionary. But when it comes to Scripture, that isn't really the wisdom, not just that, that that the Bible is talking about. Scripture, wisdom is really this, the practical knowledge of God, of yourself and of the salvation that God can bring. 
And look at these passages from Proverbs, which of course is one of the sources that James draws from, that underline this. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, the whole thing about Scripture is wisdom is found when we know Him. Wisdom is found when we know Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 8 verse 11. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare to her. We don't often think about collecting rubies, although we might think about collecting gold bars. Well, whatever. Wisdom is more valuable than that. Okay? And Proverbs 3 verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. The concept of wisdom that James is talking about is the concept of understanding God. And you guys can come up. It's the concept of understanding God. And if we lack wisdom, well, hang on, do I lack the understanding of God? Yes. Do I want to know more of him? Yes. Well, here's some good news. Because James is saying, listen, if anybody lacks wisdom, if anybody lacks that understanding, let them come to God because he freely gives. And he gives whoever you are. So praise God for that. I can go to him with understanding. But then he says this, however, however, many of us are just like the waves on the sea, blown around by the wind. And today is a great example. Where's the wind going? Well, I can feel it, and it's blowing here, and it's blowing here. Everything's going everywhere. And that's the thing. You see, we can be just like that. We're not anchored. We're not secure. We're not focused. We're not looking at God. We're getting out. One minute, I want to look at God. Oh, but the next minute, I'm more interested in this. Oh, no, I need to go back to God. This is like those waves. They're being blown around. And we've all seen the surface of the water when the wind is blowing on it. It's going up and down. It's going every which way. If you're like that, listen, don't expect to receive anything. Whoa. Don't expect to receive anything. So I need to calm myself and I need to gain focus to lay hold of him who has promised that if I lack, I ask him and he will help me. He will help us. He has promised. If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. This is not like, oh, I would love to have given, but I just, I've seen the record of your sins of the last week. Sorry, sorry, I can't, I can't do that. I noticed that you, no, you withheld from that person. Sorry, you cut off. No, if we're asking He wants to give because he is generous. But he wants us to know him, that he is faithful, that he is secure, that he is trustworthy, that he is reality, that we can hold on to him, that we can trust in him, and that he will not fail. Now, I know sometimes for myself, I think, wow. And that's when I start to recognize there's the ability for the water to be pushed around and I'm bobbing about now and when I'm like that I'm not going to receive anything but there are other times when I can come to stillness and when I come to stillness and I can focus on him I can see him for who he is
he is able to do far abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. He is able to answer my needs. He is the lover of my soul. He is the lifter of my head. He is my strength and my shield. He is the one that I can put my trust in. He will not let me go. He has promised never to leave me, never to forsake me. He is with me even unto the very end of the age. He is my strength and my source. When stillness comes, I can lay hold of him. Be still and know that I am God, is what the psalmist says. And as we get to that position, then wisdom, that is the understanding of God, the fear of the Lord, and, I believe, the ability to operate correctly in life and to make wise decisions. It can come from that place, but it comes from a place where we're anchored in him. Hallelujah. That's as far as we can go today. Let's wait for some more. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.